Welcome to HealthCom Central, where we unpack theories and frameworks that can help you create more effective communication to improve both health outcomes and health equity. I'm your host, Karen Hilliard, behavioral scientist and longtime communication practitioner. If you're looking for fresh approaches that get real results, you are in the right place. So let's get started. Hello, HealthCom nerds and HealthCom novices. Welcome to this episode of HealthCom Central. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that is fundamental to HealthCom Central, one of our four guiding frameworks and one that we consider to be essential to the health communication toolkit, and that is social marketing. Now, if you're like I was when I first started my work in public health, you've heard of social marketing, but you don't know exactly what it is. And you know how it goes, because it's one of those things where it feels like everybody but you knows about it, you might be afraid to ask. If that's you, keep listening. Every time I teach my social marketing class at CDC, a handful of people tell me on the side, I've been hearing about social marketing for years. I'm so relieved to finally know what it is. On the other hand, some of the rest of you may already feel like you're very familiar with social marketing. And if that's you, I also want you to keep listening because you're going to hear some things today that I hope will help you get better at quickly and simply explaining social marketing to all those other folks in the cubicles next to you who don't know. So then everyone will know. And you will also be better able to make the case to funders and stakeholders for a social marketing approach in many of the campaigns you're designing. Bottom line, whether you are a newcomer to social marketing or an old hand, my goal today is to convince you that if you are not using social marketing to change behaviors, you need to stop what you're doing right now and reconsider your approach because social marketing is that good and that effective. We're going to talk today about three things. First, what social marketing is. Second, when it works and for whom. And third, what the social marketing process includes. Plus, in the show notes, I will link to several fantastic social marketing campaigns that will totally inspire you. So, you know, I remember the very first time I ever heard the term social marketing, I was like, so social media, social media marketing, that's a very common reaction. But no, at 20-ish years old or so, social media is just a baby by comparison to social marketing. Social marketing has actually been around for 50 years. Besides that, one other big difference here is that social media is a channel, a way to disseminate information, just like direct mail or radio advertising are also channels. Like direct mail or radio ads, social media might be used in a social marketing campaign, but social marketing campaigns may not involve social media at all. So go ahead and disassociate those two things in your mind. Okay, so if it's not about social media, what is social marketing? Well, here's a definition that you can use when you're trying to explain it to someone. Social marketing uses the techniques of corporate marketing, not for profit, but for the social good. Really, it should probably be called pro-social marketing or some other name to eliminate confusion. And in fact, that's kind of been a big discussion in the social marketing community, but Back when the term was coined in the early 70s, and it was created by a scholar named Phil Kotler, who is still around, 
he definitely didn't see Facebook or Twitter or even the internet coming. So social marketing it is. So let's think about this idea of where we borrow things from in corporate marketing. When you think about it, who is better at selling us stuff than corporate marketers? They spend billions of dollars on audience research. And so they know exactly the way to grab our attention and push our buttons and get us to buy not just products and services that we need, but a lot of stuff we don't need, may not even really want, and definitely stuff that is not good for us. Corporate marketers are masters at motivating us to spend our money. So when you think about it, if we can harness their power and use it for the social good to get people to engage in behaviors or to support policies that will help us live our healthiest lives. Wouldn't we want to do that? So I know you're saying, well, yeah, that sounds good, but I'm not selling toothpaste or fast food or designer blue jeans. In fact, I'm not selling anything. I'm just trying to get people to wear condoms or get mammograms or stop texting and driving. How does corporate marketing work when you aren't selling anything? Oh, but I beg to differ. If you're in health communication, you are selling something. You're selling behaviors. If any of you have ever had a class in marketing, you'll probably remember the four P's. It's also called the marketing mix. Anyone remember those? I'll give you just a second. Four P's. Product, price, place, and promotion. And on the corporate side, those four Ps are pretty simple. I mean, there's a product, let's say it's designer jeans. At their core though, at their core though, those designer jeans aren't just jeans. They represent something else. They represent status or sex appeal or something else that the target audience really wants. And people are willing to pay a price and it's often far more money for a pair of designer jeans than they would pay for a pair of jeans from Walmart or Old Navy to get those jeans. The audience pays that inflated price because they perceive the value of the product, the jeans, to be worth the price, the cost in terms of dollars and cents. Well, in social marketing, and especially in public health communication that uses social marketing, we often don't have an object that we're selling but we still have a product. It's the behavior. The product is a behavior. And the price? Well, that's not necessarily monetary when we're talking about social marketing and public health. There could be other costs associated with engaging in a behavior. Think for a moment if you're selling people on something like, I don't know, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. So we'd consider that behavior of taking the stairs to be the product in social marketing. It doesn't have a financial cost, right? I mean, in most cases, no, but it does have a price or a cost. What might the other costs of that be? Well, maybe the stairs are slower, so there's a cost of time. Maybe taking the stairs makes you sweaty or out of breath. And so there's some kind of cost in terms of your dignity or comfort. Maybe because the stairwell is a little sketchy, there's a cost in terms of anxiety or fear. Whatever the perceived benefits of the product are, 
in this case, the benefits of taking the stairs instead of the elevator, they have to be worth the price, whatever it's going to cost you, whatever you're going to give up in exchange for that product. Now, quick random question here. I've been using an example of taking the stairs instead of the elevator. How many of you actually do that? My guess is there are some of you who do and some of you who don't. Now, with almost every health behavior, you already have a group of people who are going to engage in it. Those are the people who do it just because they know it's the right thing to do. So there's a whole group of people out there, probably a little bit more of you in public health than in some other field, who know that it's healthier to take the stairs than the elevator, and therefore they do. For them, awareness, just knowing that they should do it for their health is enough. For other people, you know, these are probably not as many of the people that work in public health, but for other people, they would never in a million years take the stairs unless they were forced to by law or maybe by a broken elevator. They'd absolutely have to be coerced into doing it. So you have these two ends of the spectrum, the people who do something because they know it's the right thing to do, the people who will resist it to the very end. But in the middle, the vast majority of people in the middle just knowing that they should do a thing is often not enough to get them to do it. And we don't need to mandate them to take the stairs, but they would take the stairs if it met their needs. And the vast middle ground of people, all the people who know what to do to be healthy, but just aren't doing it for some reason. And I know some of you feel very seen right now. Those are the people that social marketing is for. Now, social marketing campaigns are not awareness campaigns. They are behavior change campaigns. And just like corporate marketers, social marketers begin by deeply understanding the audience. Then they use behavioral science to create a strategy to change the audience's behavior. But I also want to say that Social marketing goes beyond mere campaigns in another way. It actively seeks to make behaviors not just more appealing, but more affordable and accessible by lowering the barriers to those behaviors and lowering the barriers, therefore, to good health. And so for that reason, social marketing meshes very well with health equity work because by its nature, a social marketing campaign is going to identify and address social determinants of health and systemic barriers and seek to level the playing field. And don't forget, even if your goal is policy change rather than changing individual behaviors, among policymakers, you're also always going to have a group who knows what they should do, but they're just not doing it. Guess what? You can apply social marketing techniques to change their behaviors and actions to get them to sponsor or campaign for or vote for policy systems and environmental change. So social marketing has a lot of utility in many areas of public health and health policy. When I do my hands-on social marketing courses, which by the way, are really fun and creative and people love them, we walk through a 10-step social marketing process that comes straight from Phil Kotler, who I mentioned earlier, father of social marketing, and his co-author, Nancy Lee, who is a social marketing legend in her own right. 
What I love about their process as a way of designing a campaign is that it is very structured and iterative, and it really looks at the audience and the four Ps and every benefit and barrier of the behavior from every possible angle. It includes research at every step of the process, from the creation of a situation analysis to the audience analysis to message testing and on into the implementation and evaluation stages, there will be research. This 10-step process of social marketing is also very strategic. Strategic planning is folded into the process, which means that you have a well-thought-out implementation plan and an evaluation plan that allows you to track measurable results. And it includes tools like the SWOT analysis and creation of positioning statements and perceptual maps all of which can be applied to so many parts of health communication. And by the way, we will be covering a lot about some of those components of social marketing in future episodes here. I still hear from many of my public health grad students, even years later, who tell me that social marketing was the most useful class they took in their entire MPH program. It's this utility of social marketing that makes it really practical for all of us. But it's the results that make the real difference. In systematic reviews over the last several decades, several of which I've linked to in the show notes, by the way, including one that looked at 125 different studies, we can see that social marketing changes behaviors. Full stop. I've been talking a lot about the benefits of social marketing, what it is, who it's for, and that social marketing process. And you may be wondering, well, show me some examples. Social marketing is very widely used in the UK and in Australia and around the world, really even more so than it is in the US. And there are a lot of great examples out there. So even though I can't show them to you as part of this podcast, I can definitely link to them. So you will see that there's an extra big set of links for today's show full of social marketing examples from around the world. They are fun and compelling and entertaining in addition to getting the job done for health behavior change. So I hope you will check them out. You know, I know a lot of us are so burned out after the past couple of years, and it can feel frustrating, honestly, to look around and see people who are aware of what the right thing is to do for their health, but they're not doing it. In social marketing terms, it can feel like no one's buying our products. You know who's not feeling that way right now? Corporate marketers. Everybody's buying their products. So if you want to take a page from their book and you want to motivate people to engage in behaviors, not because they should or they have to, but because those behaviors meet their needs, I encourage you to give social marketing a try. In a few weeks, we'll be talking about a second fundamental for us here at HealthCom Central, behavioral economics. and That is a concept that I've often introduced within my social marketing class because there's a lot of of good synergy and overlap there. So look forward to that episode. And in the meantime, now you know, social marketing has nothing to do with Facebook or Twitter. (laughs) It instead, it uses the insanely effective techniques of corporate marketers, not for profit, but for the social good. 
It's all about behavior change and it begins and focuses throughout on the needs and values of the audience. Whether it focuses on motivating individuals or lowering barriers for them, we know that social marketing works and it works especially when educational campaigns do not. Plus, once you know the social marketing process, you have a powerful toolkit that will help you with really every single thing you do in health communication. So that is my plug for today. Thank you for being here. Thanks for tuning into HealthCom Central. Please do leave a review for the show so that more people will find it. And if there's a topic you'd like me to cover, reach out by email or get in touch with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe so you can tune in for another episode next week. Until then, be well, stay safe, and stay science-based. See you soon. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment now to leave a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe to HealthCom Central on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have friends and colleagues who should be part of our community, please share the link.